Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 19th chapter. We've been there already. That's where we're going to begin today in verse 28. But first I ask you a question. Do you ever feel needy? Do you ever grow weary of pain or or sense that you're suffering too much? Do you ever feel sick and tired of being sick and tired? As we continue to look at the cross, something rings loud and clear. In your moments of need, in the deepest pain, in the depths of suffering, our God gets you. He understands. There are seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. Six hours he hung there. First was a word of pardon. Jesus looked out at all around him and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I wonder how often God looks at us that way still today. I forgive you even though you don't, you don't have a clue. There was a word of pardon, and then there was a word of assurance as the criminal looked to Jesus and asked for help, cried out. And Jesus said, okay, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And make no mistake, no, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you can leave this place today with the assurance that you'll spend forever with Jesus in heaven. And then the word of compassion as Jesus looked down at the foot of the cross and he saw his friend John. All the other disciples had run away, but John was there. He sees John, he sees his mom, Mary, and he says, John, it's now your mama. He looks at Mary and says, dear lady, mama, <laughs> my friend John's going to take care of you. When we hear that and we just realize, man, God is compassionate about us. So a word of pardon, a, a word of assurance, a word of compassion. And, and then last week, we have this word of agony where Jesus cries out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And we sense in that moment the other separation that Jesus felt as he bore the sins of the world. And, and really we saw that in that moment, Jesus is reminding us that he encountered every dimension of hell on the cross. He had conscious suffering he experienced utter darkness. He was surrounded by demonic powers. He took on the punishment of sin. He was under the judgment of God. But worst of all, he was separated from the love of God. And we're reminded in that moment that God does not want you to experience that. Jesus endured those dimensions of hell so that you would never have to experience hell. Please understand that reality. 
On the cross, we see the full extent of God's love. Everything about who He is is seen in these words. And as we listen to Jesus, we're beginning to understand. Yep, He gets us. There's nothing we experience that catches Him off guard. With that in mind, I want us to look at John chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said, To fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of wine, sour wine, stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. Right after these words, Jesus will utter, it is finished. But in this moment, he simply says, I thirst. Why? Why do we have this personal expression from Jesus? Why do you think as God, he thought it so important for us to see his humanity Think of what was taking place here. The water of life, the living water declaring, I am thirsty. Why? I think it's because he knew that we too would be needy. He knew that we too would have moments of suffering. He knew that we too would have things in our life that cause us to long for more, to thirst. He knew that a suffering world needed a suffering Savior. So if there's one thing that could sum up what we're going to talk about the next few minutes, it's this simple truth. Jesus became needy so that we could be satisfied. There's no need in your life that he does not have the capacity to meet. There's nothing impossible for him. Understand the context. Jesus ends up being on the cross for six hours. This is near the end. He's in agony, in physical pain. This is the only statement he makes that speaks to that his own suffering. He's looking outward. This is an inward moment where he feels the pain. I love how my friend James Merritt talks about this moment. He says, exposed to the heat, stark naked, tremendous loss of blood, total exhaustion, extreme dehydration. This is one of the many aspects of the crucifixion that those of us who live in a first world country can't even imagine since few of us have ever experienced this kind of thirst. You didn't die by losing blood in a crucifixion. You died from dehydration and asphyxiation. Every breath would become difficult. Every word would be labored. Your lips are cracked and beginning to bleed. Your eyes are glazed over and your tongue is three times its size, normally, sticking to the roof of your mouth. Saliva sticks in your throat 
like glue. We can survive much longer without food, but without water, not so much. Water and the need for water combined with the loss of bodily fluids gives you a tremendous fever. Your eyeballs are burning in your sockets. Your head is exploding with excruciating pain. Your vocal cords are inflamed. They feel like they're on fire. In fact, scientists tell us that the most agonizing pain is unmet thirst. Every single cell in your body is crying out for a drop of water. And the pain only gets worse as every moment goes by. That's the setting on the cross where Jesus cries out, I thirst. What about you? What are those things you're thirsting for today? We all have needs for food and water, but what else? Do you know? Do you need some help? Is it understanding? If only people knew me, what I was facing. Is it purpose? God, what is it you want me to do? Friendship? Are you overwhelmed with loneliness? Maybe you're just deeply desiring relationship. Is it freedom from pain? Is that what you're thirsting for? You're, you're tired of living and aching all the time. Is it that darkness that is emotional and mental illness? Depression? You're beating yourself up? Just wanting the darkness to end? Maybe it's satisfaction. I want to remind you of our one thing. Jesus became needy so that we could be satisfied. This is experienced all throughout the ministry of Jesus. In fact, if you think about it, Jesus began his ministry quenching thirst. He was at a party and they ran out of wine. And so they came to Jesus. And Jesus said, no biggie, bring me those big old barrels of water over there. And the party continued. But as we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see that he wants us to be those who help quench the thirst of others. We, we see that story that Jesus told. You remember it, Matthew 25, 35. And he says, I was hungry and, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And a couple of verses later, they're like, we don't remember this. Jesus, we didn't do this to you. How did that happen? And, and he says, well... The king will answer them in verse 40, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus was always wanting us to help quench the thirst of others. And he modeled that. You remember the story of the woman at the well? She meets Jesus there and, and and she does what anyone does at a well. It's what you would do when you go to a water fountain or when you open that bottle of 
Aquafina. I mean, she wanted a drink. And so Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, <laughs> they're going to get thirsty again. But whoever, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The, the water that I will give him will become in him a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that lady, she said, that's the water I want. Give me some of that water. And so Jesus says, well, go get your husband. And she says, um, that's a problem. <laughs> I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, right, I knew that. You've had five husbands, and this old fellow you're shacking up with right now, he is not your husband. And in that moment, we see we have a God who knows everything about us. And yet he still says, if you drink from my water, every need will be met. So how could this Jesus say, I thirst? It's kind of a puzzle to me. The God who scooped out the oceans, who carved out the lakes, who took his fingers and lined out the rivers, who traced the streams, he says, I thirst. He's the one who calls himself the water of life. And he says, I thirst. Why? Well, I think you've got to go back to the cross and understand that in these moments, Jesus was wanting us to know that he's, He gets us. I want to give you three truths. The first one is this. When we feel needy, in those moments of suffering and pain, when we feel needy, we can know that God understands. You have a God who fills your pain. Jesus thirsted so that when we are thirsty, we could know there's a God who gets us. Now, the Bible tells us that, and in Hebrews it says that a couple different times in chapter 2, but I want you to see chapter 4. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. Raise your hand if you know your weakness. Okay, Superman's out there. Raise your hand if you know your weakness. You need to know your weakness because the people around you probably know it. He knows our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Now, this word tempted can also mean tested. So when we go through difficult times, we can know that we have one who's been there. And yet, he didn't sin. So what does it go on to say? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. You have a God who not only knows, but stands ready to help you in these moments of need. So A.W. Pink writes, is your body racked with pain? So was his. Are you misunderstood, misjudged, misrepresented? So was he. Have those who were nearest and dearest turned away from you, felt betrayed? They did from him. Are you in darkness? He was. For this reason, he had to be like his brothers in every way in order that he might become that faithful and merciful high priest. 
I want to say something to you today who are living in pain. Physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Jesus understands. And when you're at the outer edge of your own endurance, Jesus is there for you. Hold on to that truth. When you feel like giving up, when you're at the end of your rope, when you're at the outer edge of your own endurance, Jesus, the Christ, who died on the cross and proclaimed, I thirst, he's there for you. When we're needy, we know God understands, but there's a second truth. When we're needy, we also can trust the promises of Scripture. Do you trust God's Word? Do you, do you rely on the truth of Scripture? Why would I say that? Look back at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. Why do we have that phrase, to fulfill the Scripture? It's because as John wrote these words, he, he wanted us to know that what Jesus was doing was a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus knew that this was going to happen. And so he consciously chose to say, I thirst, because it had been said a thousand years earlier that he would thirst. Let me show you. In Psalms 22, remember that poem that David wrote? He said this in verse 14, I'm poured out like water. My bones are all out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. You know what a potsherd is? It's like a, a fragment of a clay pot that an archaeologist may find on a dig, and then they plant it in a museum, and we go and go, wow. Or it's like when you drop a plate in your kitchen floor, and it busts into 52 pieces, and you say, this is good for nothing except to be thrown in the trash. My, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue begins to stick to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. A thousand years before Jesus died on the cross, David wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he wrote, I'm parched. I'm thirsty. He would write on in Psalm 69 more about this. And Jesus would fulfill that prophecy as well. They gave me poison for food, it says in 69.21. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Now, why is this so relevant this is fulfillment of prophecy. Did you know in the Old Testament there are 332 distinct predictions that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Scientist and professor Peter Stoner in his book Science Speaks, he, he demonstrates how coincidence is ruled out by the law of probability. He says that using the science of probability in reference to only eight Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, you can see that it's not likely that any man could have fulfilled this on their own. In fact, the probability 
that one man could fulfill eight of the 332 prophecies is one to 10 to the 17th power. I can't even say that number. Look at all those zeros. One to 10 to the 17th. And then he says, if you want to get a picture for that, imagine that you had a silver dollar and you had enough silver dollars to cover the state of Texas to get to one and 10 to the 17th power you could cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Imagine then that you marked one of those silver dollars with a black mark. You blindfolded a man and told him he could go all over Texas, but he had to find that one silver dollar. That's the probability of one man fulfilling eight prophecies. Jesus fulfilled them all. Why is that so important? God wants you to know that when Scripture says something, it's dependable. When He gives you a promise, you can count on Him to keep His word. As hard as I try, if I tell you something, there's a possibility I'll fail you. I'm a sinner. But Jesus never fails. He's the original promise keeper. He always does what he says he's going to do. So the question is, if you believe that, as you suffer, are you relying on his promises? Promises like this one, Psalms 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. Aren't you thankful for that truth? Or how about this one from Isaiah 26.3? This is one of my mom's favorite verses. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. You desire that perfect peace of the Lord? He promises you can have it. How about this from the New Testament? 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And, and then there's the verse that covers it all. The Apostle Paul, with everything that he's been through, being beaten, being stoned to death, he just didn't die, <laughs> being kicked out of town, being whipped, being shipwrecked, being snake bitten. And yet he says in Philippians 4:19, and my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you today, the question is not, are there thirst in your life? We all have those. Needs, pains, suffering. The, the question is, are you trusting in God's promises in his word? When we feel needy, we can look to the cross and know that our God understands. When we feel needy, we can listen to these words of Jesus and know that we can trust the promises of Scripture. But when we feel needy, we also have fellowship with Christ. Don't miss this. The Bible teaches us that as followers of Jesus, one of our privileges 
is to share in his sufferings. That does not sound fun, does it? We probably don't talk enough about that. We don't talk about this reality that sometimes God doesn't take us out of a situation. He just joins us in the midst of it. Sometimes He's teaching us and molding us and shaping us and and working in us so that we might endure. Why? For the glory of the Father. Did you know that's what it says about Jesus? He endured the cross. Why? For the glory of the Father. So that what happens in my life, whether it's a good day, a bad day, whether it's a happy day or sad day, everything in my life points to God. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 3 when he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that God, that depends on faith. And then we hear these things and we want to say amen, that I may know him, amen? Amen. That I may have the power of his resurrection, Amen? amen? That I may share in his suffering, oh my. Yeah, that's not something we want. But that's something that God says is sometimes necessary. So when you look at the cross and you hear those words of Jesus, I thirst. I think you need to hear the voice of God say to you, don't waste your pain. Don't don't waste your suffering. One of the greatest hindrances to God's working in our life, particularly in this American culture, is this belief that if we just pray or if we just do these things or if we give or or, or some kind of magic formula, then God's going to give us what we want. That He's some genie in a lamp that if we just treat Him right, He'll he'll give us what we want. But to do that, we, we have to look past the dying children in war in Eastern Europe. We have to look past the persecuted Christians whose necks and their throat are slit on a beach in northern Africa. We have to look past the starvation and the extreme poverty that's experienced even in a nation that many of our church family are from, the nation of Haiti. No, sometimes God is allowing suffering in this world. In fact, that's another thing that his prophecy reminds us of, right? We've already said this repeatedly as we look to the cross. We realize God's not caught off guard by any of this. If he's fulfilling that which was said to happen, he knew it was coming. Did you know the same is true in your life? There are no accidents, only appointments. And that makes it harder sometimes, doesn't it? I have to trust a God who knew I would go through this pain. 
who knew I would thirst, who knew I would feel needy, but in the midst of it, he calls me to look to him. I need to remind you today that God never wastes anything, and neither should we. We never waste the pain, the suffering, the hurt, the the heartbreak, the heartache we experience in life because God can redeem all things. God can make all things new. God can take your physical hurt, your emotional heartache. He can take your spiritual helplessness, and He can use it for His glory if you allow Him to. But even though we know God understands, and even though we know He is trustworthy, in the midst of our thirst, it's often hard to look to Him, isn't it? So I want to close by just reminding you of what it looks like when we don't do that. When we look past the cross, when we don't hear the words of Jesus, when we think we can meet every need according to our riches. The prophet Jeremiah describes it. Listen to Jeremiah 2 verse 13. He says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So number one, we we didn't take advantage of the promise of God that he will meet our every need. We didn't turn to Jesus who promises us that we will never thirst again. In addition, we thought our way was better. We've rejected God and then we've thumbed our nose at him and said, no, I've got this. And here's how it looks. Imagine taking a paper cup and walking up to a water fountain knowing that the cup's got a hole in it but trying to fill it with water and wonder why you're not getting where you need to be. Broken cisterns. Sometimes it's bad things. Maybe the broken cistern of pornography to try to Meet that sensual desire that you have in your life or an illicit relationship, adultery. It may be practicing out that sexuality in one of the many ways that God's Word says is not honoring to Him. It may be putting things into your body that is really a self-medication. You're trying to take away the pain. But you're doing it your way. The, the truth is it can even be good things that we've made idols in our lives. We, we can turn to religion, but if it's void of our relationship with Jesus, it's not making the difference. You could take something as necessary as food <laughs> and, and think that's going to bring you pleasure. All of these things broken cisterns, things that will never quench our thirst. In fact, Jesus said that when we do that, we're inviting hell into our lives because that's what hell will be like. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Jesus describes that experience of the rich man in hell. Listen to this from Luke 16, verse 24. 
And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But that's not God's desire. Remember how I told you that Jesus endured the dimensions of hell on the cross so that you would not have to experience hell in your life? God doesn't want you to go to hell. He went to great lengths to make sure. That's why Jesus died. That's what His Word says. God demonstrated His love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know what God wants for you? It's described in the book of the Revelation. In Revelation 7, this is what He wants. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's what God wants for you. When you meet the thirsty cross, at the, the, the thirsty Christ at the cross, you'll never thirst again in the same way because He will meet those needs. The question's not, will you thirst? That's going to come. The question is, how long? You'll be needy. You'll suffer in this life. But will you do that with Jesus? Will you endure the pain, if necessary, for the glory of the Father? Mexico City is one of the largest cities in the world, over 20 million inhabitants. It's sinking, literally. Parts of Mexico City sink a foot a year. In the last 20 years, scientists tell us that it's sunk on average about 22 feet. Just imagine that. Why? It's because the people are thirsty. They need water. Not a big deal. We all need water. But for them... Their water supply is underneath their feet. They're drawing so much water from the natural aquifers that it's causing the ground under them to erode. They think they're quenching their thirst, but they're sinking. And so are some of you. You've turned to things that are not of God. You've looked away from the cross. Whatever the reason. Real pain. Actual abuse. Deep hurt. Or perhaps you've turned inward and hurt feelings and life's disappointments. And things didn't go your way. You've looked away from Jesus. And yet he's your answer. He became needy. So that you could be satisfied. But when 
you try to quench your thirst in the things of this world, you ultimately realize they never meet your needs. Remember what he told that woman. Five husbands, the man she's living with now, not her husband. In John chapter 4, what did he say? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. Jesus beat this drum like a lion. He, he, he beat this line like a drum. He wanted us to get it. And so in John 7, he says it again. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But you got to come to him. And you know, even as the book draws to a close, even in the revelation, that's what it says. The spirit and the bride say, come. The one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jesus said, I thirst. The one who is living water became thirsty so that we who are thirsty might have living water. Thank you, Jesus. In his great thirst, Amen. he brought water to me. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed. I'm just really going to ask you to look to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you don't want to bow. Maybe you just need to look straight to the cross behind me. Um, if you're a Christ follower, I, I want you to think about you know, kind of some of this stuff that I stirred up in your mind probably. Are there needs that you're trying to get met in the wrong ways? Even without overt sin in your mind, are you, are you looking past Jesus and not depending on Him? Are you letting the Scriptures soak into your life and revive you and encourage you? Are you suffering well? Are you wasting the pain? Can you just spend a, spend a few minutes with the Lord? But some of you here, and, and I'll be quite honest, if nothing changes in your life, you're going to spend an eternity in hell. You've not taken the step to trust what Jesus did on the cross. I'm not talking about whether you've been to church. You could be Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Church of Christ, Assemblies of God, Presbyterian, non-denominational, multi-denominational, fill in the blank, whatever you want. I'm not talking about church rituals like catechism and church class and first communion and confirmation and walking down aisles and being dipped or dunked in water. I'm talking about a time in your life where you said, Jesus, I know without you I'm hopeless. But because of what you've done on the cross, I can have hope. So Jesus, I'm going to look to you and let you be in control of my life today.
If you've never taken that step, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. And while there's no magic prayer, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to pray these words and mean this with all your heart to the God of the universe, I believe he'll come into your life and he'll take control right here, right now. But you've got to ask him. You've got to let him know that you're depending on what he's done and that you trust him to meet your every need. So maybe you'd pray this prayer. Maybe just say, dear Jesus, just you and him right now. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your mind. Dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved and forgiven. I believe you died for me. So I receive your forgiveness. I believe you're alive today, Jesus. So I'm going to follow you. I'm still needy. But I trust you to meet my needs. You tell him. Tell him thank you. Friend, if you just prayed that prayer, I believe the God of the universe began a relationship with you and nothing can take that away. Praise the Lord. In a minute, I'm going to tell you how you can tell me more about that. But I just celebrate with you right now. Back to you who are followers of Jesus. You know that you'd go to heaven if you died today. Praise God for that. But maybe in your neediness, you've been trusting too much in self. Maybe you just need to tell him right now, Lord, I need you. Every minute of every day, every hour, I need you. Spend a minute with him. Oh, Father, thank you. God, thank you that you love us so much. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for giving us hope and giving us life. Thank you for meeting our needs according to your riches and glory. Oh, God, thank you that we can count on you. Thank you for the Bible, your word that gives us hope and dependable promises. Thank you that you're close to the brokenhearted. Thank you that you bind up those wounds of those who need healing. God, thank you that what time I'm afraid I can trust in you. God, thank you that you comfort me so that I can be a comfort to others. Lord, we could go on and on. Thank you for your promises. Lord, just help us turn to you. Would you raise up a church that is clearly depending on you, Lord? Our neighbors, our friends, our family, they don't see us as any different from them because when we go through the trials and the testing times of life, we lose it. We act like they do. God, help us to be dependent upon you. Lord, we need you. We confess our neediness. Meet us here, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.